Good morning, friends. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we started a series a couple of weeks ago called The Church and Culture. We're talking about the people of God on the one hand and the world in which we live in and this vision that Jesus gave us for how this might work. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be focused on the church and justice. And specifically, we're going to be talking about racial injustice. Now, if you are newer to the Access community or if you've not been around us for a while, we've been engaged in conversation around race for quite some time. We've had a ministry team called the Wrecking Crew that had been doing this for years. We had a retreat last year that was focused on this topic. For the last about six months or so, we had a message series called A Church That Unites Diverse People. So this conversation has been in play within our community for quite some time. And I just say all these things to help you to understand that if you are new here and you're looking for a spiritual home or a place to discuss deeper conversations or to get into the weeds of racial inequality, Access could be a home for you and you're invited to take this learning journey with us. We are far from perfect. We make mistakes. I make mistakes. I say wrong things all the time, but we are in a learning journey together. And together, we are trying to learn what God wants us to do to further this vision that he has given us, to be a church that unites diverse people. So today, we're going to do several different things. I want to dive right into the topic for today. We're going to talk about this moment that we are finding ourselves in. What are we seeing in the world and why is this happening? And number two, I want to talk about God and justice. What does God think about justice and what does he want his church to know about justice? Number three, I've invited a couple of my African-American colleagues who are on the Sankofa journey with me uh, to share some of their experiences and to talk about how we can practice solidarity today. So Pastor Rodney Gadsden and Pastor uh, Dula Prevalon are going to be sharing some of their thoughts about how they can, how we can walk together through this. And finally, we're going to be celebrating the elements of communion, the Lord's table. And at the Lord's table, we come together around the bread and the cup. And these remind us of who we are in the eyes of God. We are forgiven. We are set free. We are renewed. We are in a covenant relationship with God, and we are part of God's multi-ethnic kingdom that has stretched from ages past through today and will continue into eternity. So look forward to doing that with you at the end of our message today. So what are we experiencing today and why is this happening? Well, recently in the news, we've been confronted with a series of injustices toward black Americans. We heard the story and seen the video of George Floyd, who had his neck crushed by a white police officer. We heard the story of Ahmaud Arbery, who was a young African-American man jogging through a neighborhood and was hunted down and shot by white vigilantes. There was a story of Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor was in bed one night and plainclothes police officers 
but wearing no cameras, serving what is known as a no-knock warrant, broke in and shot her to death. There's a story of Christian Cooper, who was in Central Park birdwatching, and a woman named Amy Cooper, a white American woman, called 911, fabricated a story about being threatened by him, and used her position of privilege to force a system upon a man who was black. She was using a system that learned to listen, has learned to listen to her voice above his voice, and she was exercising power against him. Now there are more stories that I can't name right here and right now, but this is enough for us to understand why there has been an eruption of emotion in the United States today. Some of this has been very positive and constructive. We've seen marches and protests, stands of solidarity. We've seen leaders say just some great things uh, to acknowledge injustice and work for something better. In the city of Houston, we saw a peaceful march and community leaders coming together to protest injustice. But we've also seen a lot of destructive elements. As rioting and looting has taken place, this has happened in some of the most poor and vulnerable neighborhoods, and that's the sorrowful thing about it. Criminal elements have taken advantage of the poor and the oppressed once again, and we are seeing some of the most vulnerable who have been attacked in this, um, in this time. Now, to understand this well, to dive into the topic of racial injustice, and to participate in conversations around justice, it's important to understand that these incidences that we're seeing today and this eruption of emotion are not isolated events. They are part of a longer history of oppression, of hatred, of inequality, and of anti-blackness in the United States. You know, in the United States, it can be traced back to some of our very earliest moments. The transatlantic slave trade, where between 12 and 15 million Africans were taken away from their homes forcibly, separated from their family members, and made to serve as slaves. That was at the birth of our nation, and that is a very difficult history that we have in our past. Now, Americans were divided about that, and eventually this led to the Civil War, a war of the North against the South. And very much this was about racial inequality, because as soon as the Civil War ended, what happened? Abraham Lincoln declared the Emancipation Proclamation of Freeing Slaves. Uh, there were a number and a series of amendments that were given. The 13th Amendment was passed. Uh, abolishing slavery in 1865. The 14th Amendment was passed in 1868 that gave black Americans a full vote because before that they were only counted as three-fifths human, which is why black lives matter. They were dehumanized in the, uh, in the past. The 15th Amendment was also passed in 1870 that stated the right to vote could not be denied on the basis of race. 
Now, you might be tempted to think because all those new legal changes took place that's, and because slavery was officially abolished, that that evil went away 150 years ago. But nothing could be further from the truth. In actuality, sin just found new forms to take root, namely in the form of Jim Crow laws and the convict leasing program. So if you're unfamiliar with that, black Americans were systematically put into incarceration by these new Jim Crow laws for something as basic as walking too closely behind a white person or maybe crossing the railroad tracks or maybe being in a town after sundown. Black Americans were arrested and thrown into jail. Bail was placed too high for them to come out and for in order for them to earn their way out they were leased out to states and to businesses that mistreated them and used them as a labor force. So a new type of slavery just took place that didn't have the same name, but people got around the system. So this is a very important point to understand, and you're maybe wondering why are we going through all of this history this morning? Well, it's to understand that there is a large gulf, a gap between what is often put in the law books and how life is actually lived out. And in this space is where a lot of racial inequality and injustice continues to flourish. Maybe one way to see this is in the case of voting. So in 1870, an amendment was passed in the United States saying that no one could be discriminated on the basis of race, um, for their right to vote. So no one could be excluded from the vote based upon race. But 95 years later, Martin Luther King Jr. still felt the necessity to march for the right to vote. Why? Because they were not voting. So while you had the amendment passed, almost 100 years later, that reality was still not lived into. And that is still the case today. Now, we're going to be talking more about racial inequality and injustice over the weeks to come, but that was a quick little brief history. I want to talk now about what God thinks about injustice. What does God have to say about this, and why is this important for the church? A couple of scripture passages that are really important for us to understand today. The first comes to us from the Old Testament prophet Micah. Micah Chapter 6, verse 8. It reads as follows. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Previous to this passage of scripture, there's a conversation going on about what should people bring before God? Does God want a number of sacrifices? How does worship happen at this point in time. And what God says is, it's simple. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with me. So let me go into some details about what this meant. To act justly. So God wanted his people to behave righteously, 
justly toward their neighbors, toward the people that they worked with, to the other people who lived in the city with them, to the people in their schools. So he wanted this horizontal relationship to be good. So worship is often imagined as this vertical relationship with God. But God is saying, no, to worship me well means that you act justly with your neighbors. It also goes on to say to love mercy. And what is that talking about? Is that just about loving a virtue abstractly? No, actually, it's about practicing kindness. It literally means practicing kindness to the people around us. Act in a way that is kind, that is merciful. Show other people grace. And then to walk humbly with God. What is this talking about? Well, walking with God is really the important thing to understand. We are to practice the presence of God, to be very aware of who He is and what He's up to. And we are supposed to do that humbly, to be able to be taught, to learn, to admit wrong when that happens, and to walk humbly in the manner of God. Now, there's a second passage I want to point to today about not only what does this mean for God and why is this important in the eyes of God, but what does this mean for the church? And here I want to go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Verses 17 and 18 read, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So here we have a very similar situation to Micah, where people are asking, how can they worship God? And God is saying this, you need to practice justice. Seek justice. Now again, I want to point out this dynamic that's really part of the way that a lot of Western Americans imagine their relationship with God. It's about me and God, and if we're okay, then everything should be okay in terms of, of the world, right? This is what matters first. And what God is saying is this. He's pressing it down and says this. Your relationship with your neighbors matters to me. And if you are not seeking justice, if you're not standing with the oppressed, with the widows and the orphans, then this worship isn't worthless to me. This worship that you want to have of offering sacrifices is not as important as you going out and treating your neighbor well, standing with the poor and the oppressed, the marginalized, the widow, and the orphan. This is what Jesus was talking about when he mentioned the Good Samaritan story. So many of us are familiar with the Good Samaritan. It's about loving others as ourselves, even those that we consider enemies. And what does Jesus say at the end of the Good Samaritan story? He says, go and do likewise. Now, we are part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. We are part of a denomination that is beautifully multi-ethnic and celebrates this multi-ethnic mosaic and wants us to live deeper into it. And so they have come up with a phrase that is very helpful in these times that summarizes this teaching in both Micah and Isaiah. It is this, practice 
solidarity. Practice solidarity. It means walking with our brothers and sisters, especially those who are of a different background, who may be racially, ethnic, socioeconomically different from where you are in life, to walk humbly with them, to learn with them, to walk and follow after God with them. Practice solidarity by celebrating their highs and by mourning with them in their lows, grieving with them when it is time to grieve. So in order to do that today, I've invited a couple of friends who are on the Sankofa journey with me to be able to help us practice solidarity. Pastor Rodney Gaston serves at Crossroads DeSoto. He was my partner in Sankofa and together uh, we meet once a month to be able to pray along with a few others. He's been a good friend who's helped me understand more along this journey. Pastor Dula Prevalon is another friend who is on that Sankofa journey. She is the vice chair of the ECC Ministerium. So we are very blessed to have some wonderful guests to speak into this moment and help us understand what's important and how to practice solidarity. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Access Church. It is so good to be able to share a few words with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Ted, for inviting me to share a few words in light of what's been happening in our nation regarding the murder of George Floyd. Um, one of the questions you asked was to share a little bit about how to pra practice solidarity in these times. I think the first thing is to pray. Um, to lament, to cry out to God. Lamenting gives us the strength that we need, gives us the courage that we need um, in order to go forth and do what we, um, God is calling us to do in these times. Um, so lamenting um, is a place where you offer complaint, offer um, disapproval, offer confusions to God and I'm asking God to change something. So pray for us, pray for our nations in our nation through pray um, through lamenting. The second thing that I would share um, how you can help us practice a solidarity is to be aware of the issues. Get to know some of the issues that um, that the people of God are crying out for. You know, God um, has written in His book. Um, about a group of oppressed people all throughout the Bible that were crying out to God. Um, and so to not be aware of those issues would be, uh, we would be remiss um, in, 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 the, in knowing how to stand in solidarity with those that are crying out for help. And, and the third thing is to not just, um, you know, allow these issues to be um, Black people's issues, but it's our issues. We are a part of the global community and um, we are our brothers and sisters in the community. What hurts me hurts you and what hurt, hurts you hurts me and that we can come together and really a diverse group of God's people standing against injustice. Um, that's who we are. We are um, God's created human beings. He said in Genesis that we were created in his image. And for that reason, when injustice is happening with one group, it happens to all of us. So to not let just let these issues just be about us, but 
people, um, black people, but to let it be about all of the people that we are offended. All of us are offended when there is an act of injustice against um, one member of the human race. And the last thing is to be active, um, to give where you can, to speak up where you can, to figure out what issues um, matter to you. There are There's mass incarceration. There's um, mothers not being able to deliver their babies safely. There are um, school disparities. There's inequality all over the world. Figure out what the issues are and then do something. Stand on those issues. Give where you can. Speak where you can. Show up where you can. Support a cause whenever you can. And the last thing that um, Pastor Ed asked was, how can you pray? Pray for me, pray for my sons. I have three black sons um, and my husband as well. They were all shaken by the news of George's murder. Um, and so we're all heartbroken. Pray for us that we will not lose hope and that we will continue to hope and that we will continue to stay encouraged and continue to fight the good fight and continue to, um, to elevate the gospel no matter what is happening in our lives. So pray for us. Thank you all so much for hearing me. I will pray for you and I hope you have a blessed Sunday. Have a great one. Bye. Good morning, Access Life. Uh, it's so good to be with you again. Uh, I'm Rodney Gadsden, Associate Pastor of Crosswoods Covenant Church in DeSoto, Texas. I've been asked by your pastor to share a thought or two on how can access practice solidarity with the African-American community. Uh, and to deliver my thoughts on uh, how that could look, how that could play out, I wanted to do it with four points. It's empathy, it's enlightenment, it's empowerment, it's enactment. Uh, but before I begin, I wanted to share a story that I shared with the Mid-South pastors a couple of days ago of my experience being pulled over by a police officer one night after traveling back home from church uh, after a rehearsal. My daughter was asleep. My children were asleep in the back of the car, both my son and my daughter. And uh, when the car stopped, they immediately looked around and saw uh, the flashing lights uh, just glaring and my daughter became very terrified. She began to cry, uh, fearing that something was going to happen to her dad. Um, my wife assured her that everything was going to be okay, but in reality, we could not really be 100% sure uh, because so often uh, when African-Americans are pulled over, we don't know how that incident is going to turn out. It could devolve into something very tragic. And so when I see a police car anymore, before then or even after then, I immediately become very anxious. My heart races. I'm checking to make sure that I'm not speeding, that everything is in order. And so if I am pulled over, uh, there'd be no um, possibilities that things could kind of just escalate. Um, but that's my reality on a daily basis. And it's really not supposed to be this way to where a black man is fearing his life or uh, the safety of his life. Uh, when pulled over by a police officer. But that is what's happening in America these days. Uh, for no apparent reason, sometimes thing can, things can kind of just uh, go awry. Uh, so um, empathy goes a long way in understanding um, how we can practice solidarity. What if you were in George Floyd's shoes or Ahmaud Arbery's shoes or Breonna Taylor's shoes or 
Christian Cooper's shoes or Tamir Rice's or Trayvon Martin's or any other those that uh, that were tragically taken away uh, for uh, no apparent reason or reasons that uh, were um, somehow just turned tragic. Uh, so to empathize with us uh, will help you to understand uh, what it's like to live in this state of terror on a daily basis. With that empathy, we must conjoin that with uh, enlightenment. Enlightenment in this case would mean understanding the history of racism, the history of slavery, the history of injustice, how the justice system uh, produces mass incarceration, understanding how this all started in the beginning and how it has continued, been allowed to continue from then to now without any apparent change or sustainable change that we can live with some degree of hope. Uh, the Sankofa trip that Ted and I took on, in August of last year is an excellent way to get enlightened into the history of African Americans in this era of Jim Crow, uh, the post-Jim Crow era, the institutionalized racism that still exists. Uh, then we can kind of start to be empowered to speak out against the injustices, to speak up when things are, are seen, uh, when things are known that are just inconsistent with humanity, with equality, with justice. We have to be able to be empowered to join your voice with our voices so that our collective voices will be heard that will prompt reform. Uh, be able to decry uh, the, um, uh, the the senseless violence in, uh, against uh uh, African-American men and women on the streets at the hands of those who are uh, sworn to protect and serve us. Uh, those are the things that we need uh, help with. Our voices aren't, be heard, aren't being heard. Uh, with your voices joined with us, uh, maybe that message will come through louder and clearer, uh, faster, so that the change can begin as, as soon as possible. And then lastly, there is enactment. Enactment means for you to join with us, speak up, to stand up, to march with us, to walk with us in this era. As people of color, um, we are as uh, valuable in the, in the sight of the Lord as the majority are, but we're not seen that way. Uh, so we have to be able to kind of show that collectively we are all precious in his sight. And so to enact, uh, to uh, be empowered to speak, uh, to be enlightened, and to uh, to share the heart uh, empathetically with us as we suffer, as we have cried, as we have um, uh, mourned the loss of countless of our family members. These are the types of things that can be viewed as practicing solidarity. And so practicing solidarity is an ongoing effort. It's not a season. Once this is done, once justice is served, if justice is served, it will continue. It will need to continue. It's a practice, means it's habitual. And so we are needing uh, as many of our brothers and sisters that are not African-American to join with us. What it also means is that we're going to join with you as well. We understand that people of color, whether it's brown, whether, whether it's the uh, Hispanic descent or Asian descent, uh, they all need support. We all need the support of one another. Native Americans need our support. So the church is supposed to be one body. If we are functioning as one body, uh, one body, then we are stronger together. 
one body, one member uh, will support the other member. That's what Christ envisioned. That's what Paul envisioned when he used this metaphor of the body. So I pray and hope that these words are helpful, uh, that this was in some way enlightening to you to how you may be able to walk with us, stand with us, speak for us in some cases when our voices are just stymied. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I pray for you as you pray for me. Uh, God bless you, and we'll talk with you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, a big thank you to Pastor Rodney and to Pastor Dula. Thank you so much for taking the time and the space and the energy to share some words with us. We really, really appreciate it. If you want to get in contact with either of them, you can email me. I'll pass on comments to them, or you can look them up on Facebook yourself and contact them directly. But I want to take this moment here to talk about some practical application points. Three in particular. First, I want to emphasize learning, learning history. Both Rodney and Dula emphasize this, and as I've listened to other African-American leaders, it is very important now to understand history because so much of history has been forgotten, and that's why it's important. Um, that's why there's so much misunderstanding between communities. And when we take the time to listen well to our neighbors and their stories, it is loving them well. So Brian Stevenson is an attorney, and he's a civil rights activist. He writes this, The North won the Civil War, but the South won the Narrative War. There's a lot to unpack with this quote, but what Stevenson is saying is that there is a story that many people have told themselves that glosses over the atrocities, the evils done to black Americans. And because that has been forgotten, it's important for us to learn their story again. Years ago, I went to a meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I remember sitting down at dinner with a number of colleagues, and one of them was sharing with me how he went to a museum that day to learn again about the Tulsa riots and how Black Wall Street was burned down. And I thought to myself, I have no idea what he's talking about. That was Dr. Terry Woodson, who's pastor of Bethel Bible Church in Dallas. And so for the rest of that dinner and into the evening, I got an education. And it was so important for me to learn a piece of missing history for me about how black Americans were oppressed. I want to also say that it's important to take this very gently and very uh, sensitively because doing so and asking an African-American brother or sister to talk about their own personal history can also be re-traumatizing. So be sensitive when you're listening. Number two, it's really important right now to be able to give. To give. Um, got an email from the ministerium this past week that talked about a couple of churches in the Minnesota area that are beginning the process of rebuilding. And I want to show a picture here of a number of covenant churches that came together, their leaders came together to do a march. And two churches in particular are going to be working very hard in the rebuilding efforts after the rioting and the looting. And so I'll post their information uh, so that you can donate directly to them and to support their work. That's one very tangible way to give lovingly to our brothers and sisters and to practice solidarity. And finally, number three, it is to join a group. 
Join a group that is talking about racial reconciliation, like Be the Bridge, or maybe join one of our small groups, uh, or get into a book study with uh, several others. Don't try and do this alone. When you do this in community, your learning will accelerate. You will learn much more. You will learn much more deeply. You will feel this much more deeply. So it's important to do this in community. And now we turn our attention to the Lord's table. If you have the bread and the cup, I encourage you to get it out now. Bread and the cup remind us of a greater reality. It reminds us of who we are in Christ. It reminds us that we belong to God, that we are part of this covenant relationship with God. And no matter what our history might have been, no matter our sin, no matter what our racial ethnic background might be, we are now invited in and we belong to God. We are now part of God's multi-ethnic mosaic, his kingdom that will last forever. The bread and the cup remind us that we belong to God. And let's read the scripture together and remind ourselves of this reality. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take a moment now to receive the bread and the cup. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.